Section 8 of The Age of the Condottieri by Oscar Browning. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 4 Francesco Sforza, Frederick III, Pope Pius II, Part 2. Recent researches have made us acquainted with the constitution of the government of Milan at this time, which was not as arbitrary as might be thought at first sight. A council of twelve members called the Secret Ducal Council assisted the Duke in the government. This owed its origin at least in part to the similar institution in the Ambrosian Republic. There was a special council of three members for affairs of justice, and another to superintend the revenues. These were carefully ordered and were composed of taxes on merchandise and cattle, of dues payable at the gates, of a tax on grinding corn, and of a money contribution called Cadegio. The army was divided into two parts, the ducal army of Lombardy and the field army for external wars. We have said above that the accession of the new Duke of Milan was recognized by Pope Nicholas V. He was a great contrast to his predecessor. His youth was spent in studying and copying ancient manuscripts, and he used the power of the papacy to give a strong impulse to his favorite pursuits. His reign is the beginning of a new era, the dawn of the Renaissance. He cared nothing for war. He employed artists to build, chisel, and paint for him. A hundred men of learning translated for him the treasures of antiquity and were well rewarded for their exertions. In 1450, he celebrated the general peace of Italy by a jubilee attended by an enormous crowd of pilgrims, who brought countless offerings to the Holy See. Such a concourse had not been seen since the great jubilee of 1300 under Pope Boniface VIII, which we find so often recorded in the verse of Dante. The great object of Sforza at his accession was to confirm his power. The Venetians were his bitter enemies. The Republic of the Adriatic formed a league with Alfonso, Louis of Savoy, William of Montferrat, and the Republic of Siena. Florence and Milan were close allies. Cosimo de' Medici sent Agnolo a Ciacciuli on an embassy to Charles the Seventh, who was able to announce from Tours in December 1451 that the king was willing to conclude an alliance with Milan and Florence. Above all, Sforza desired the recognition of the emperor. Frederick III had been promised the imperial crown by Eugenius IV, who had also purchased from him, for 100,000 gulden, the recognition of the Pope by Germany. It was arranged that the emperor was to marry Eleonora of Portugal, the niece of Alfonso of Naples. The marriage and the coronation were arranged by Aeneas Silvius Piccolomini, one of the greatest men of the age, afterwards Pope under the name of Pius II. Frederick refused to pass by Milan to receive the Iron Crown of Lombardy, for fear that he might be compelled to recognize the usurper Sforza. He passed by way of Ferrara to Florence, and was betrothed to his bride at Siena on February 24, 1452, an event which is commemorated by a cross still existing outside the walls of Siena, 
and by one of Pintoricchio's frescoes in the Piccolomini library. He entered Rome in triumph, was crowned there in March, and went on to Naples for the solemnity of the marriage. He was the last emperor who was crowned in Rome. He returned by way of Venice, but left without honor or respect. We have now reached the furthest verge of the Middle Ages. They are passing away, and the modern world is arising in their place. Frederick was the father of Maximilian, and the great-grandfather of Charles V. The emperor had given his countenance to the cause of Venice against Milan, but he had never joined the league between Venice and Alfonso on the one side, and Milan and Mantua on the other. The king of France had two courses before him. He could either press his own claim on the duchy of Milan, or he could support the right of his ward, René of Anjou, to the throne of Naples. As we have before indicated, he preferred the latter course, and in 1453 René was sent with an army to assist Sforza. He did, however, very little good, and soon returned to his own Provence. Just at this time, an immense effect was produced by the taking of Constantinople by the Turks on May 29, 1453. We know that on our own day this city is considered by most impartial statesmen to be a place of too great importance to be in the hands of any first-rate European state. It was of still greater importance then. The conquest of New Rome, once the chief seat of imperial majesty and the second capital of Christendom, by a militant band of heathen, roused Europe to the duty of uniting against the common foe. The call was felt most strongly by Venice, which had always stood in the vanguard of the struggle. The Pope also summoned to Rome the representatives of the Italian powers to treat of peace in his presence. The result of these feelings was the Peace of Lodi, signed on April 9, 1454. The Ada and the Olio were to form the boundary between Venice and Milan. The Peace of Lodi is an important epoch in the history of Italy. It was initiated not by the petty lords of independent cities, but by two great states, the ancient Republic of St. Mark and the Duchy of Milan under the energetic rule of a victorious soldier. The Italian states, whether willingly or not, all took part in it. Florence accepted the peace on May 14th, and it received the adherence of Siena, Lucca, Perugia, the lord of Piombino, Bologna, Borso, Marquess of Esti, Duke of Modena and Reggio, Louis of Mantua, the Ordalafi of Forli, the heads of the family of Malatesta, the Manfredi of Faenza and Imola, Ancona, Carlo Gonzaga of Mantua, the Malaspina of the Lunigiana, and other lesser lords. The Corregeschi of Parma submitted to Sforza. The Marquis of Montferrat and his brother accepted the peace. Louis of Savoy gave his adhesion in August 1454, and Borso d'Este restored to the Duke of Milan the territory which his brother Lionel had occupied in the Parmesan. Italy was now at peace, and the five great powers kept each other in equilibrium. In the north, Venice was a counterbalance to Milan. In the south, Naples formed a counterpoise to Rome. In the center, 
florence the chief depository of the wealth of the peninsula and the main source of its culture held the scales between the north and the south it is convenient to date the revival of learning in italy from the peace of lodi or of fra simonetta as it is sometimes called it was followed by a league for twenty-five years between the pope alfonso naples florence venice and milan it was the fear of the turks the taking of pera from the genoese the threatening of the coasts of the mediterranean by turkish cruisers which brought about the first league of the italian powers pope nicholas lived just long enough to see it completed he died on march twenty fourth fourteen fifty five he was a scholar pope who defended the papacy not by armies and intrigue but by placing it at the head of modern culture on his deathbed he addressed to the cardinals an apology for his life and reign he claimed to have healed the schism of the church to have recovered its estates and protected them by fortresses to have enriched the papal treasury with books manuscripts and countless works of art and to have done all this not by simony or niggardliness but by the legitimate revenues of a peaceful reign this boast was true enough and these arguments might defend the papacy against the attacks of the council of basil or of constance but the other side of the picture is that nicholas was the first of the worldly popes the forerunner of leo x what would saint francis of assisi or saint catherine of siena have thought in hearing as the bitterest lament that the muses and apollo wept tears of sorrow over his tomb he was succeeded by calixtus the fourth alfonso de borgia an old man of seventy-seven of great learning and honourable character he was a spaniard of chativa in the province of valencia he was in the confidence of alfonso of aragon and he first connected with the papal tiara the detested name of borgia his short reign was unimportant the pope on his sickbed was surrounded by monks and nephews his only passions were the crusade against the turks and the advancement of his family calixtus sent emissaries into all lands nuncios and friars were dispatched into every country the treasures of nicholas were squandered jewels sold books robbed of their costly binding to fit out a fleet of sixteen triremes which only succeeded in plundering a few islands in the archipelago far more important was the defeat which the conqueror of byzantium suffered at the hands of john hunyadi before the walls of belgrade on august ninth fourteen fifty six the conditions of europe were not favourable for a great united effort france dreaded an invasion from england england was preparing to attack france germany refused to move alfonso was more angry against genoa and milan than against the turks it needed something more than the power of a feeble old man however good and however much respected to weld the warring jealousies of europe into a phalanx of attack against the infidel End of section 8